Thank you so much, Pastor. Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to Encounters with Jesus. I am excited to be here tonight. I would like to welcome those who are joining us in person as well as those who are joining us online. Um, praise God. Thank you so much for being with us this evening, and I look forward to getting into the Word of God tonight and, for have, and also having a fresh encounter with Jesus this evening. So, before I begin, would like to invite you to join me for a word of prayer. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We are so thankful and grateful to be here tonight. And we pray now that Jesus will be lifted up, that he will be the attraction, that he would be the draw, the center of attention. We know that in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus himself said, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so we are praying for a fresh encounter with you tonight, Jesus. We're also praying that you, Holy Spirit, will come and fill this place and fill each and every one of our hearts. May our minds be open and receptive to hear your word. And we pray that according to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, uh, we claim the promise actually where it says that your, your word will go forth and will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. We pray that you will accomplish your purpose tonight, Lord, as you share your word tonight. Thank you so much. Again, for those who are with us in person, be with those who are still on their way, and be with those who are joining us online. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that you can be everywhere at once. Bless us now, Lord, as we open up your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight I want to invite you to go with me in your Bibles or in your devices. We're going to be looking at an encounter, a very powerful encounter um, that Jesus has with an insider. And I'm going to invite you to join me in going in your Bibles or on your devices to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. And before I get into this passage of Scripture and this encounter that Jesus has, I'd like to share some thoughts that I have here with you tonight regarding this encounter. And you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss next next uh, Friday coming because we're going to have another encounter that Jesus has. It's Jesus and the outcast or Jesus and the outsider. Um, I want to share with you that it's important for us to look at both John chapter 3 and 4 really together. They are not to be taken up separately, although I'm going to cover chapter 4 on Friday night, but I want us to understand that these two stories, there's a reason why they're back to back. There's a reason why um, they're mentioned um, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. I believe that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, really in, uh, intended for these stories to be back-to-back. -back. I'd like to share this with you. In the stories of the insider and the outcast, we will specifically ask, what is wrong with the world the way it is? Because we can't move on to talking about what we should, what we should do to make the world better unless we understand clearly what is wrong with it. Diagnosis comes before prescription. And family, I, I believe we will find a sound set of answers here in our time together. In the third chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ meets a highly moral insider, a leader in the civic and religious establishment. In the following chapter, he meets a social, moral, and religious outcast or outsider who happens to be a woman. Both texts are well known to many Christians because they develop 
their characters in some detail and are full of memorable dialogue. It is interesting, though, that whenever anyone teaches about these texts, they almost always treat either one or the other, never both together. But I think, family, that this is a mistake. I believe there is a reason these two encounters appear one after the other in this gospel. The writer wants us to consider them together. These two persons appear on the surface to be so different and their circumstances so dissimilar that at first glance it seems they could not have anything to do with each other. But the author, but the author is leading us to ask, as different as the insider and the outcast are, what do they have in common? Because if these two people have something in common, then we all have something in common. In other words, this highly moral insider, this religious and civic leader, what the author wants to bring out is that if this man, who is a moral, I mean, he's, he, first of all, I'm going to get into his profile right here. I mean, he's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin Council. He's a religious and civic leader. He is highly educated. He is wealthy, he is affluent, he's influential. And so, at first take, we would look at that and we would say, man, you know, what, would, what does this guy do? And we would look at that in contrast to the woman that's found in John chapter 4 and say, they are totally different, their circumstances are dissimilar, but here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is that... He among his peers. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin Council. He's educated. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a teacher. And notice his encounter with Jesus. Okay? Notice his encounter with Jesus. In the Gospel of John, and for the context, what I'd like, what I'd like to share with you I'm going to utilize for the context. Go with me in your Bibles or on your devices. John, John 
chapter 2. Thank you so much, Bob. John chapter 2. And please notice what it says beginning in verse 12. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Jesus does something here. It's Passover. And it says that after this, Jesus went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' monies, money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign do you show unto us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. Now he's referring to his body. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So what we have here is a picture of Jesus Christ going into Jerusalem. And when he gets there, there's all of this, this, all of this uh, noise and unholy traffic that's taking place in the temple, in the courtyard of the temple. There are people who are selling sheep and oxen and all these animals for sacrifices. And by the way, those who are involved in this, these transactions, I mean, they were, they were doing some shady business, Brother Brian. I mean, they were, extort, they were extorting people. They were, they, were, they were cheating people. And you had people that were coming from all over to celebrate the Passover feast. And these men were, were trying to gain a profit for themselves. And there was all this unholy traffic going on in the house of God. I want you to understand that what Jesus says is, you have made my house, my father's house, which is a house of prayer, you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so what he does is he chases all those money changers out and all those who are involved in this trafficking business, this unholy traffic, and he chases them all out. And if you really were to study what happens as these men and all these guys are leaving the temple, all those who are in need of healing, those who are poor, those who are sick, those who are dying, they come into the temple courts and Jesus begins to heal them all. What I want to share with you, family, is that Jesus also wants to cleanse the soul temple. He wants to cleanse us of all of this unholy traffic that is going on in our minds and in our hearts and how the devil comes in and the devil wants to take control of our hearts and our minds. He wants to take control of this body. He wants to use it for his purposes. But do you know that you were created to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? You were created to be the habitation of God. You were created for a relationship with Jesus. See, when I was younger and I was, I was out on the streets and I was defiling this soul temple that belongs to God, which, by the way, he purchased with his own blood. 
And I was out there doing drugs, and I was out there getting drunk. I was out there getting wasted. I was out there involved and engaged in violent acts. I was involved with all this stuff. The devil pimping me out. The devil having his way with me. The devil doing whatever he wanted to with me. But then Jesus comes along and he rescues me and he takes me from the power of the devil and he fills me with his spirit and he cleanses my mind and my soul temple and he puts in it the word of God. That's the power of God. I want you to notice that the reason why I'm sharing this is because this all ties in with the next encounter. You see, the chief priests and the leaders... They weren't happy with what Jesus did. But there's no way that they could, that they could resist what had happened because he, 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 he spoke with authority. There was, there was a power that attended him. Not only that, Nicodemus, at least what we see here, may have witnessed these things himself. Perhaps he either witnessed it or he heard it. And so now we get right into, we get right into chapter 3. And we're going to have, we're going to look at a very, very powerful encounter that Jesus has. So I want you to keep in mind Nicodemus's profile. He may have been married. We don't know if he had a family because here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a fact. There's only three times in all of Scripture that Nicodemus is mentioned, and they're all found in the Gospel of John. He is not mentioned in any of the other Gospels, only the Gospel of John. He is mentioned here in chapter 3, he's mentioned in chapter 7, and he's mentioned in chapter 19. This is the only, the only information that we have on Nicodemus. But I want you to understand that this is a very important encounter that we need to take a careful look at. Imagine being there. Imagine being a fly on the wall for this encounter. What must that have been like? Perhaps it might have been something similar to Plato and his student Aristotle. Just imagine being back then in, in Greek Athens or, and, and, and you look at, you look at or Athens and you, and you hear a conversation taking place between Plato who, is the, who laid the foundation for, for philosophy and Aristotle, who laid the foundation for science. And can you imagine as these two men and the encounters that they had, the conversations that they must have had? I mean, you, you're talking about phil, you know, philosophical, deep philosophical conversations. I mean, I would have loved to have sat in that conversation. And that's why I, I appreciate the Apostle Paul. When you study the Apostle Paul, one of the things that I loved about the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul knew how to contextualize who it was that he was sharing the gospel with. When he was up on Mars Hill and he was speaking to a group of, of, uh, of Epicureans and Stoics, he would, he would quote from their poets. He would speak about some things that they understood regarding philosophy, and he was trying to make a connection and show them who the unknown God was. And in other circles, Paul would then adapt and switch and change up as he would share the gospel in different circles. And so I believe with all my heart, you know, that uh, maybe if Plato and Aristotle might have met Jesus, I mean, can you imagine what that encounter must have, would have been like, would have been like? But I'm just using this as an example of what some of these encounters must have been like. Let me go, let me take another one. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, I mentioned C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien last night. Can you imagine 
J.R.R. Tolkien was a devout Catholic. He was, he was one that claimed to be a Christian and loved God. And C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and yet they were friends. Brother Brian, they were friends, Brother Joe. These two men, right? These two men. And I believe that, that J.R.R. Tolkien, God used him. God used him to have an influence on C.S. Lewis and help lead C.S. Lewis to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, C.S. Lewis then became a Christian apologist and a defender of the Christian faith. But can you imagine what it must have been like to be in those conversations and to hear their and to see their encounters and what they must have discussed? I believe that J.R.R. Tolkien must have challenged C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis must have challenged him. But one of the things that came place out of those conversations is the conversion of C.S. Lewis and how the Holy Spirit reached into that man's heart and brought him to Jesus. <laughs> oh, And so it brings us to our encounter for tonight. Man, it, I would have loved to have been present for this private interview that Nicodemus holds with Jesus. I want you to notice what it says in John chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. John chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Okay, according to the context, what is Nicodemus referring to? He's saying those, these miracles that you do, we know that, you, that unless, unless God is with, the, with you, that you would not be able to perform these miracles. In the context, what, what is he referring to? What just took place where? In the temple. In the temple. So Nicodemus must have been either a witness or he had heard the report of what Jesus had done. But notice what he goes on to say. He refers to him as rabbi, this humble Galilean teacher. He says, he says, he comes to him by night and says unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I want you to notice two things that you're going to see is on Friday night with the woman at the well, Jesus takes a more gentle approach with this woman, Brother Joe, but with, with, this, with, but with the teacher of the law, he takes a straightforward approach. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. Notice what he says. Jesus answered in verse 3 and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be what? Be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, right from the jump, Jesus says to this man who is a, again, he's a Pharisee, he's a member of the Council of Sanhedrin, he's highly educated, he's moral, he's a religious and civic leader, he's wealthy, he's affluent, he's influential, and by all, by all standards, he's probably, you know, well-respected in the community and among his peers, both in the community and the church, and yet Jesus says to him, you must be what? Born again. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again? Process that for just a moment. Let that, let that sink in. Let that sit. We're talking about a church leader here. 
We're talking about somebody, somebody who's got maybe a Ph.D. in theology. He's a teacher of the law, folks. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of, he's a member of the Sanhedrin Council. And yet Jesus looks straight at him and says, you need to be born again. Because unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa. I don't know how that would, how that would be in the church today. If somebody just came in and preached and said, <laughs> looked right at he, he, the pastor, the elders, the leaders of the church, he said, you need to be born again. What? Now, if we were to compare the two, we would probably understand and not take umbrage with Jesus saying that to the woman at the well. And can you imagine Nicodemus now? He's probably, and we're going to get into the conversation, but can you just imagine, whoa, this guy just told me I need to be born again? Notice, notice how the conversation continues. It says here in verse 4, it says here in verse 4, Nicodemus says unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Wish I can really unpack some of this stuff for more, but notice how Jesus answers him. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except, now he repeats it, except a man be born of what? Of water and what else? And of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is emphatic. Jesus is saying that unless a man is born of water, baptized in water and of the Holy Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If a man, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I'm here to share with you folks, I'm here to share with you that I praise God that Jesus makes it very clear that all of us can experience a new birth. All of us can experience being born again. All of us not only need to be born of the water, that means water baptism, that means this tank over here being baptized into water, but guess what? We can also experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit every single day. Woo! I've had the privilege of traveling around for months now, meeting people in different, different places and in different spaces, whether it's conducting revival meetings like this or meeting them out on the streets of Seattle, preaching on the streets and connecting with folks on the street, connecting with, connecting with gangbangers and, and, and drug dealers. I just started a new church plant in Seattle at the Boys and Girls Club, Brother Brian. And I want to tell you, I love it. There are folks who come in, and a lot of them are my family members, right? A lot of them are my family members. A lot of them involved and engaged with that street life and that gang life and drug dealing. And they come in, and I want to tell you, Brother Joe, they come walking in, strolling in like this, you know, pants hanging halfway down their backside, and, and they, got, they got these dickies on. They're all dressed up, and they, they look like gangbangers. Some of them come in with their flags around their head. And I want to tell you, they come in, and they have a seat, and I say, Praise God, you're, you're welcome here. And even myself, I dress down. 
I'll wear a t-shirt that says Uso on it. I'll wear a cap that says Samo on it. And I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want them to know that you are welcome. You are most welcome here. That group is growing. There are people coming off of the streets who are coming into that boys and girls club. Who says that we need to be only in a church building to have worship and to praise God? You know that God can move into any space? That God can touch people wherever they are? That's what excites me. Beginning in May, two Sabbaths out of the month in May, I will be celebrating the Sabbath with my Muslim brothers and sisters in Seattle. They want to get together now for, for, for Sabbath worship in their homes. Will somebody say amen? That's, that's... Folks are having encounters with Jesus. They are experiencing the love of Christ. They are experiencing the freedom that only Christ can give. When I watch my family members and, and, and friends and, and, and former, former uh, you know, members of the same gang that I used to run with and even rival gang members who are coming into that space over there in West Seattle and we are having worship together, that is the power of God. Jesus here doesn't mince words. He repeats to Nicodemus again, Verily, verily, I say to you, that except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked that I said unto you, you must be born again. It's not as if Jesus was saying something new to Nicodemus that he really didn't understand. Now, he was being incredulous, perhaps a little offended, Brother Brian, that Christ would even say to him, you must be born again. You mean, to tell me that, you mean to tell me that as the pastor of this church that I need Jesus just as much, just as, much as the pimp and the prostitute on the, out on the street? And Jesus is saying, yes, you do. <laughs> you see, what we like to do is we like to categorize and classify ourselves and set ourselves apart as being, as being maybe different or more holy or more righteous than other people just because we're not engaged in some of the activity that they're engaged in. But make no mistake about it, we are all sinners. We, are all, uh, we all struggle with sin. And so we all need an encounter with Jesus, including Nicodemus. And so we can walk into a church and we can be all pious and holy and pat ourselves on the back. For some of the things that we do, we can have a self-righteous attitude, a more holier-than-thou attitude than those who are out on the streets, those in the community who may not be flocking to the church. Could it be that God, for those of us who are here present in this room, that maybe God brought us all here because we need a revival in our own personal lives? We need an encounter with Jesus. Those who are joining us online, we need an encounter with Jesus. By the way, born once, let me introduce this to you. Born once, Jesus said that those who are born of the flesh, 
Listen to this, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. <laughs> Let me repeat that again. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. What do you mean, pastor? Well, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 puts it this way. It says that the wages of sin is death. The ultimate result of sin is death. But it's not just the first time we die, and all of us, by the way, are headed that way unless Jesus Christ comes again and we are alive when he returns. But the Bible tells us that there is not just one, but there is a second death. You find that, I'm just going to hint, I'm just dropping hints, references. You find that in Revelation chapter 20 when it speaks about the second death, which is eternal and total separation from God. And it's not because, listen, it's not because God wants to separate himself from us. No. God never wants to do that. In fact, Romans chapter 8, the very last verses of that say that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. But we're the ones by our own choice, and because God gave us free will, we can utilize our choice and free will to walk away from God. And guess what? God continues to pursue us. I think I heard something about that today in the message. God, Jesus loves to chase us down. He, he continues to pursue us. He, he continues to come after us. Brother Brian, Brother Joe, that's why, that's why we're here tonight. It's because God is pursuing us. And God is going to do everything in his power to, 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 to get us and, and to draw us into a relationship with himself. This is the only way that we can be saved. We're not saved, family. We're not saved by our works. Would somebody say amen? We're not saved by our own merits. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That is through the power of God alone. No wonder why in, in, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, this is what it says. It says, for by grace, by what? A little louder, church, by what? It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is a what? It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So let me just put it. God is saying, listen, it's because of my grace. By the way, those two things are gifts from God, grace and faith. Because according to Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verse 3 or 4, it says that God has given to every man a measure of faith. So even the faith that we have to receive the grace is a gift from God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. So all we got to do is receive that gift. And it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that means that none of us have anything to boast about. And guess what? Even when we get to the kingdom, even when we get to glory, there's not going to be one single person who gets there that's going to be able to brag or boast that they got there because of their own works or because of what they've done. Each and every one of us are going to be praising Jesus and singing glory, hallelujah, to God that you saved us and it's by your grace that we are here. Man. Now you might say, well, what is work, what do, what do, where do works come in? Because I'm having a hard time with that. Oh, I know we Adventists have a hard time with that. But here's, here's where works comes in. Verse 10. It says, for we are 
his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. <laughs> so guess what? We're saved by grace through faith. We receive that grace through faith. And now he comes in and he dwells in us. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 1, 6 puts it this way. He that hath begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Did you say amen? So guess what? Works is the result of a saving relationship with God. It's the, re- it's the fruit of that relationship. What is Nicodemus, what is Nicodemus, Nicodemus, Nicodemus mi- missing here? What, I mean, he seem, it seems like he's got it all, right? I mean, he's, <laughs> no one can touch him when it comes to, like, you know, his, his standing in the church and in the community. But Jesus is telling this man, you've got to be born again. Marvel not at this that I said unto you, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus is familiar with what it means because there are passages in the Old Testament that speak of a new heart, a new mind. I'll just give you two right off the top of my head. In Psalm chapter 51, verses 10, 11, and 12, David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see, David recognizes that he's incapable, he's unable, he's powerless to change his heart. So he's saying to God to create in me a what? A clean heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, I believe it's verse 9 and 10. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10. And for those of you who are listening and, 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 and hearing the scriptures, you, can guys, you guys can go ahead and check it out. On your own time. But Jeremiah 17, uh, 17 verse 9 and 10, I believe it says this, that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? He says, but I, God, try the reins of your heart. In other words, God is the one who is able to give us a clean heart, a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, I believe it's verses 23 and 24, 25. The prophet writes this. He says, take away this stony heart and give me a heart of flesh, a heart that is willing to walk in your statutes and to walk in your ways and to walk in your law. So who's the one that can give us a new heart, everybody? God. Do you know that the most gifted and the most talented and the most, I mean, educated heart surgeon in all the world whether it's a he or she, is incapable of performing their own heart procedure if they needed heart surgery. They need somebody else to perform that surgery for them. The same can be, the same can be applied spiritually. None of us can perform our own heart surgery. None of us can change our own heart and our own mind. That can only happen with the greatest doctor the universe has ever known. Dr. Jesus. Would you say amen? He can give us a new heart and a new mind. Let me continue on. Notice verse 8. 
The wind blows where it will, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell when it comes and when it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Yeah, you may not be able to tell the moment that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit began to tug on your heart, and he began to massage your heart, and he began to work on you, work you over. But just like you can see the results of the wind and how it affects things and how it moves things, the Holy Spirit has that same effect upon the human heart. And then I want you to notice what he says. And you can't tell where, where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And then notice what Nicodemus, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Aren't you? a master of Israel, and you don't know these things? Let me, just, let me just tell you that Jesus begins the conversation by really trying to honor Nicodemus and really speaking on his level in terms of, you know, the education of Nicodemus and, and, and speaking things that Nicodemus should be familiar with and Nicodemus should know as a teacher of the law. But Nicodemus, it, you know, it's as if, <laughs> you know, this is a new paradigm for him. He's like, man, I... First of all, you just blew me out of the water by telling me that I need to be baptized. I need to be born again. What? Do you know who you're talking to? You're telling me. And, 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 but now, I want you guys to notice something that Jesus does. He's a master. I love reading the life of Jesus because you can't improve upon the master. If you want to know how to deal with different minds and different people and different personalities, man, just study the life of Jesus. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. I, man, it, check this out. Check this out. Jesus answered and said unto him, aren't you, aren't you a master of Israel? And don't, shouldn't you know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do, we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Wow. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now check this out. Now I want you guys to know I want you guys to see the genius of Jesus and, and how now he's going to actually reach Nicodemus's heart and bring an end to the conversation because you're going to see that after what he says here, Nicodemus doesn't respond anymore. The conversation comes to an end. It, it, it's amazing. Look, look, he resorts to telling a children's story. <laughs> First of all, he wants to meet him on theological grounds. And, and meet this educated, highly educated man where he, where he is. But now, because Nicodemus, Nicodemus is not really, not really um, you know, um, processing it the way that he should, Jesus now has to tell him a children's story in order to reach him. Check this out. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoa. Check out verse 14, uh, 15 and 16. That whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Would you say amen? Oh, man. So check this out. Brian and Joe, Steve, check this out, Bob, Judson back there. Jesus now shares a story that's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, it speaks about the children as in their journey through the wilderness as they're heading to the promised land. They're complaining and murmuring against Moses and against God. Now, what happens is, what happens is, all of a sudden, these serpents come out. And these serpents begin to bite the people of Israel, the camp of Israel, and people are dying. People are, are dying. And so God instructs Moses, God instructs Moses, I want you to fashion a a bronze serpent, a brazen serpent, and I want you to put that serpent on a pole. And when you put that serpent on a pole, I want you to then call out to the children of Israel and tell them to all they've got to do in order to live is look. Just look at that serpent that is on the pole and they will be healed or they would be, they would be spared. They would not die. Now, here's the interesting twist. Why would God instruct Moses to u- utilize a serpent, which for the most part in Scripture symbolizes sin and the devil as an object that would bring healing? <laughs> Why? What, where's the connection there? Where's the connection there? How, how, can, how can it be that when you go back all the way to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, The devil uses a a serpent as a medium to tempt our first parents into sin. And then when you go throughout all of Scripture, it's almost without exception, every time a serpent is mentioned, it is almost always connected to the devil and sin. So why would God instruct Moses to fashion a brazen serpent, to put it on a pole, and then call the people of Israel to look and live? St. Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says this. For God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me repeat. That's what, listen, that's why Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever has an encounter with him, whoever looks to him, whoever gives their heart to him, says, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see what happened, Brother, Brother Brian and Brother Joe, and all of us in this room. Jesus, by hanging on the cross, he took upon himself the sins of the entire world, your sin, my sin, all of our sins. He took it upon himself, and he became sin for us. And in becoming sin for us, he basically took upon all of our sins, our guilt, our shame, and, and, and our nakedness and all of that. He took it upon himself, our condemnation. He took it upon himself. And then he says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness. I don't know about you, but man, 
there's no better, there's no greater trade-off than that. That he took my sins, Brian, and he says, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. What a transaction, Joe. No matter what our past, no matter what we've done. I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, a couple of months ago doing a revival series. And I was sharing about encounter, an encounter with Jesus. And I, be, and I began to share about my own personal encounter with Christ. As I was just getting into my testimony, in walks in this, this young Samoan man. And he comes right to the front. He has a red bandana on his face. He's a member of a blood gang. And he sits right in the front row. And as I'm sharing my own personal testimony and my encounter with Jesus and how Christ rescued me from that life, he rescued me from the streets. He rescued me from my addictions. He rescued me from the power of the enemy. He rescued me from the allurement of the world. He rescued me from all of that stuff. I want to tell you that that young man right there in the front row broke down and cried throughout the rest of the sermon. And he even removed his bandana. And when I made an appeal for baptism and I made an appeal to be born again, he came forward. And then, and then afterwards when I met with him, he was still in tears. You know why? Because he said, man, pastor, he said, when I walked in and I sat down, he said, man, I'm like, man, I don't care. He said, yeah, I'm here in church only because my parents told me, you know, to come to church. And so I'm going to sit here. I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to harden my heart. Nothing's going to penetrate my heart. I said, that's the first mistake you made. Because when you come into the presence of God, when you come in, I want to tell you, and you have an encounter with Jesus, you will never, ever be the same again. And he, he broke down and cried. He said, but pastor, pastor, I was, I, I was just drinking two nights ago. I was drunk out of my mind. Man, I was, you know, I was doing all that stuff just two nights ago. I said, yeah, I know. God knows too. That was two nights ago. Today, you are a different person in Jesus Christ. I know what you did two nights ago. God knows what you did two nights ago. But that has not changed God's love for you even when you messed up even when you're still walking in your lust and in your sin, whatever it is that we might struggle with, I want to tell you right now, God does not give up on you. God will journey with you. He will walk with you. He will pursue you to no end because God loves you. I had the privilege that Sabbath afternoon to baptize that young man. Can I tell you this? I've stayed in touch with him. I text him every day, devotionals. I call him from time to time, and I tell him, listen, you call me any time of the day. I don't care how late it is in the night. I don't care if it's early in the morning, whatever the case. If you need something, if you need prayer, you give me a call. You give me a call. And so we stay in touch. You know, the, you know just a few days ago when I talked to him on the phone, you know what he shared with me that got me all excited? He's been sharing Jesus with his homies. He's been sharing Jesus with his gang members, the gang that he's a part that he used to be a part of. He's been sharing Jesus with them. They can't believe the changes that have happened in his life. That is the power of God. If you read, let, let's, let's finish this off. Aren't you thankful that in verse 17, it says, Jesus said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, 
He didn't come here to condemn you. He didn't come here to condemn me. He came here to save. That's why we're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. I believe it begins around verse 54 or somewhere in the 50s where they go into a Samaritan village. They reject Jesus. And Brian, Joe, do you know, you want to know what Christ's disciples, James and John, what their method of evangelism was? They said, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven like Elijah did and burn up this whole village? And believe it or not, do you know that many, many, unfortunately, still have that attitude today? That we, we, we feel like there are certain people that are not worthy to hear the gospel? There are certain people that are not worthy to come to Jesus. There are certain people that we shouldn't give the time of day to. That will be better off to just lock them up and throw away the key. It's better off to leave them in their own mess. It's better off not to deal with them at all. That's not, that, that's my, that's not my problem. What did Jesus say to them? Jesus said to James and John, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. You're not here by accident. God brought you here because he loves you. God knows what you can become in Jesus. Do you know that the devil hates this? You know that the devil... The devil will do everything in his power to get in the way, to stop people from having an encounter with Christ because he knows the power of God and what it can do in the life of one that decides to give his or her life over to Jesus because you go from darkness to light, from error to truth, from, from death to life. Notice, come on, let, let's finish up the passage. He that believeth, in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that, that does that doeth truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You know, when I was out in the world and the Holy Spirit was drawing me back because of the prayers of my mother, it was uncomfortable for me to be in the church. I didn't want to be there. But God kept sending people to me. He kept loving me through people. And as a result, 2010, I want to tell you right now, I want to make an appeal for baptism because we're talking about being born again. At the end of this series, we're planning to have a baptism. Isn't that right, Pastor? Anyone, anyone, listen, anyone that wants to be born again and give their heart to Jesus and follow Christ, we're going to have a baptism at the end of the series. 
And God is going to, God is going to, listen, God is going to have people prepared for baptism. I know it. I know it. That's just what God does. The first time I was baptized was in 1979. I was nine years old. I didn't even know why I was getting baptized, though, Brother Brian. Honestly, I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I really felt like I was forced by my parents to be baptized. Bless their hearts. <laughs> they, they, they had nothing but good intentions, and they meant, you know, the best for me. But I'm going to tell you, I, didn't, I had no idea why I was getting baptized. And so I did it because I wanted to please my parents. I just got rebaptized in 2010 after I had left the ministry for seven years. And I went back to the streets. I went back to dealing drugs. I went back to that old lifestyle. Or I guess you can say like Peter, I went back to fishing. You'll find that in John chapter 21, by the way. And then Jesus said, nah, you're not going back to fishing, Peter. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Wow. Jesus actually entrusted the care of the church to the, to the guy that denied him just a couple of nights before? <laughs> so in 2010, I was rebaptized because of an encounter with Jesus. And by the grace of God, I haven't looked back since. Would you say Amen. When you read the account of the conversation and the encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus, you notice that after he talks about the serpent being raised up, Nicodemus, the conversation stops. I mean, he doesn't have any more questions. <laughs> what happens to Nicodemus? John chapter 7 the council gets together and they're plotting how they can deal with Jesus. Nicodemus actually stands up for Jesus in that meeting and says, does our law allow us to judge a man before he's heard? So you can see, you can see already the progress, right, of that interview. What is the result of that encounter? What is the result of that conversation? Well, now he defends Jesus in John chapter 7. What happens in John chapter 19? After Jesus dies on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, another leader of the Jews and a follower of Jesus Christ, begs Pilate for the body of Christ. They take it down. And if you read the account, it says that Nicodemus brings spices. I think it's 100 pounds worth of spices and ointments for the burial of Jesus Christ. Do you know that that is fit for a king? What he brought to the burial is what you would bring for kings. So what was Nicodemus declaring of Jesus? That he is the what? He's the king. So, so according to the Gospel of John, Nicodemus, after that encounter, became a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Wow. 
Is there anyone here tonight? I want to tell you that there are two things that people get hung up with when it comes to baptism. The first one is people will feel like I got to go and clean myself up. I got to go and make myself right. I got to go do this and do that, and then I'll come back and be baptized. Can I tell you something? If we keep that thought process and keep that in our minds and the devil keeps on bringing that up to us, we'll never come to that place to where we make that decision. The second hang-up is people, people have this, we have this idea that I have to know everything and learn everything before making a decision for baptism. Nobody in this room knows everything about the scriptures, including the pastors in here. So I want to take away those two things right now. Because there's none of us in this room that can go out and clean ourselves up and then make ourselves better and then come back and be born again. Nope. That can only happen through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to knowing, guess what? God is on this journey with us. He'll take us right where we are, and he'll grow us in his grace and in, his, in the knowledge of God. And that's why we're here, to help disciple you. So, is there anyone here tonight? Anyone here tonight? And all you got to do is raise your hand tonight. You have a desire to be born again. You have a desire to be baptized. Praise God. Praise God, Brother Brian. You have a desire to give your heart to Jesus and follow Christ. You have a desire to be his disciple. You want a new life. You want to experience what it means to be born again. Is there anyone else in the house that would like to make that decision? Also, those who are joining us online, if you would like to make that decision to be born again and give your heart, or even rebaptized, please indicate that in the chat. Let us know. Pastor and myself and the church family, we're willing to work with you. Listen, we're on this journey together. We're going to do life together. We are here for you. We want you to know Jesus Christ intimately and personally. Did that young man raise his hand back there? Praise God. So we got two. Young lady, look at that church. We got three people. Would you say amen? Don't worry. For the rest of us, and by the way, I'm up here standing saying, Lord, I need, I need a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. I need you. I'm going to tell you, I know our time is gone, but I'm going to tell you this. December 17th, I was down in Compton, Los Angeles, doing a revival series. A bunch of thugs walked up into the church preaching my heart out, made an appeal. Several people came up, young people came up and stood right here on the left-hand side. I'm so thankful, Pastor, that you don't have a, a staircase <laughs> here. And, and as I was making an appeal, Joe, I wanted to step down on the floor and be with them. Well, guess what? I was on the third step. And as I was making an appeal, I was getting ready to, I was getting ready, yes, Judson, I was getting ready to step down. I missed a step. 
and ended up falling forward and tumbling forward. Almost hit my head on the front pew. One of the young men by the name of Amos was standing here, and he reached down and grabbed me and picked me back up, telling me, reminding me that even the one making the call needs help. It's not just those who are being called, but even the one making the call needs Jesus. But you know what? Brother Brian, Brother Joe, even after falling, I just kept on calling. I wasn't in my feelings, just kept on appealing. And more people responded and gave their hearts to Jesus and were baptized. God can even use our tumbles, our spills, our falls, our trips, our slips for his glory. <laughs> yeah. So what, here's what I'm going to do to close. And I'm going to ask my pastor to come up and join me, grab this mic. Brother Brian, would you please come forward? Young lady, would you please come forward? And, uh, and uh, that, young, that young man over there by the camera, just real quickly, I want to have you guys come forward because we want to we have special prayer for you tonight. We want to we wanna pray over you tonight. You just want to turn and face. Thank you, Brian. Come here, young lady. Thank you so much for, for your decision. And just come stand right here next to you, next to Brian. And your name? Emil. Emil? That is a unique, beautiful name. Is it Amriel? Okay. And your name? Kendrin. Kendrin? Okay. Kendrin. Thank you. Can I shake your hand real quick? Yeah. yeah. All right. Come stand right here. We're going to have special prayer. All right, church family, would you say amen? Amen. Three. By the way, um, next weekend, the following weekend, there will be an appeal every night. There will be an appeal every night. I believe in giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. It's the, it's the best decision that you could ever make. Amen. Okay? Those who are joining us online, please indicate in the chat if you too would like to be baptized or rebaptized. And if there's anyone in the house that needs healing, we also want to pray for you. By the way, Pastor and myself, if there's anyone who wants special prayer, <laughs> immediately following the service, whatever it might be for healing, for your family, for your children, for your wife, I mean for your spouse, whatever it might be, we want to pray with you. So anyone that has a special prayer request, you can join us up here afterwards. Pastor, would you please pray? Oh, yeah. Loving Father, we just give you the praise for moving on our hearts, all of our hearts. We thank you for Kendron and Amriel and Brian and, and maybe some online that have made a decision to follow you through baptism. And Man, it's just a, a cool thing. And um, we just ask that you will continue to, to work with them. And and us, may we disciple and mentor and love and care for yes. each of them and for each other. And as we go into this um, week ahead of us, um, just again, I, th I think of the prayer Mandalena shared this today about, Lord, seal the week, protect us into the week, claim the week. And we, uh, we pray that, that you will claim the week in our lives and we will have a fresh baptism of your presence every single day. Yes. And uh, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.